Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton and joining me today, my friend, my neighbor, my frenemy, my op, Mr. Daly, my friend, how the heck are you? I'm good, sir. How are you today? Enjoying the, I guess, the first weekend of fall, although the first day of fall isn't for like two weeks, 10 days, something like that. It's a nice weekend. Let's just put it down. Dude, the most important thing for me is, and everyone that listens to this show knows I'm a basketball fan, Canada won the bronze Bronze! medal at the World Cup today over the United States. Over the perennial powerhouse <laughs> that is, granted, they had maybe their E team, their F team. They didn't bring their their top talent, but I will I will enjoy this and savor this victory forever. And of course, we're going to be in the Olympics awesome. next year. Of course, that is when the U.S. will march out their super team. But hopefully, yep. hopefully, yep. we'll have Andrew Wiggins and Jamal Murray and a couple of other studs as well. So hopefully, we'll be in a good place. But my friend, hopefully. we wanted to get together today because one, we had a really packed show on Thursday, but there's a ton of stuff we couldn't get to. In particular, there was one story that I think you and I are both... Before we get into this, I, I have a bit of an issue with this because you're like, hey, buddy, let's get together. Let's do like a fun off-topic show this week. And I'm like, perfect. There's no Grand Prix. And then you sent me the outline a little earlier uh... today. I'm like... This looks oh, like like completely on topic. Every Thursday show. <laughs> every Thursday show. Yeah. But here, let me start sure. with a fun topic then. So probably the story that we've spoken about on the show that got the best reception. I, I shouldn't say the best reception, but it had the most... Um, oh, what's the right way to say it? It had the most... I would say visceral response was earlier this year, BMW had announced that they were going to force customers. So customers that were buying brand new BMWs, they were going to force them to pay a monthly subscription to their credit card to unlock their heated seats. And at the time, what what BMW had said was, no, no, it's it's all about giving our customers choice. We want to give them choice. And the, the general consensus was that BMW was looking for one, a new revenue stream, monthly billing, which everyone's after, but two, that there was this belief that it could help them lessen the impact of their supply chain. So currently BMW configures two cars, right? Like they'll have a version of the car that has heated seats and they'll have a very small number that don't have heated seats. But basically they've got this expense that they have to create two different versions of the same car. So their thought was, hey, we'll just stop making the version without the without the heated seats. And that if somebody doesn't want the heated seats, they just don't pay for the subscription. But the, the, the flaw in that logic was that whether you were going to use the subscription or not, you were paying for the heated seats. So in, 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 in a sense, you were getting hit twice. Now, the big news is the drive.com is reporting as of this week, BMW is officially giving up on heated seat subscriptions good, because good, quote good. unquote, people 
hated them. Uh, and the article continues, the blowback worked, but subscription for software-based new car features will continue. So software subs or subscriptions to software features like CarPlay and Android Auto, they'll continue to charge those. But one of the most absurd things I think that I've ever seen in the motorsports, not the motorsports, but the automotive industry, which is, hey, we're going to charge you to put heat seat warmers in your car, and then we're going to charge you a monthly fee to unlock that feature was just absurd. And I'm glad the blowback, I'm glad the blowback worked. Uh, apparently BMW's board was still very surprised really? by this. And they were quite shocked that customers didn't <laughs> want to both pay for the seat warmers and then also <laughs> pay for the monthly subscription. But my friend, you were, you were very much put off yes. by this. What is, uh, what is your reaction to this? I, I, I'm glad to hear it because, you know, I, I can understand sort of like premium features, like some of the software things. I, I still have a bit of an issue, but I, I can see it like a case for it. But I mean, if I was the one and, and let's just put it out there right now, neither you or I in this current economic like like environment are in the market to buy a luxury car uh, like a, like a BMW or something like that. But if I was, let's let, let's just say had I sufficient fundage, if that's a word, which I don't think it is, but I just made it up because reasons uh i would be going down to like canadian tire to buy like the like the 20 dollar plug-in seated heated seat rest kind of massager deal or something like that even though there's probably a very good chance that might set my car on fire but hey you know whatever you know i just i but you know joking aside i hated that idea i just i hated it. it's just like and it, it doesn't matter it's it seems like everywhere you go nowadays you're you're getting nickel and dime to death it's just like you go and download an app for your phone it just like offers in-app purchases it's just like well this is usually this, this is basically a complete hunk of garbage unless i start unlocking all the features that i downloaded this app to get and you know and stuff like that so they've kind of scaled that up to like the the car industry and it just it just bothers me it just it really does but you know, glad to hear that heated seats are, are not put behind a paywall for those those poor souls that can afford BMWs. According to BMW, uh, their marketing director or their marketing boss, uh, what is his name, Peter Noda, he says, we thought that we would provide an extra... <laughs> Sorry, I'll start this again. We thought we would provide an extra service to the customer by offering the chance to activate that later, but the user acceptance isn't that high. People feel that they paid double. I and according to this article, thedrive.com, that's one perspective. Another is that BMW was absolutely double dipping with heated subscription or heated seat subscriptions. The company started down the road to reduce production or reduce production costs, making each car cheaper to build by streamlining the process. Fair enough. However, those or those reduced costs were never then passed down in the MSRP of the cars. So they have factual evidence. They have the receipts here that BMW is saying, like, hey, you know what? We just weren't going to charge for the heated seats that you would pay for that through your subscription, but you have absolutely worry you're paying twice so anyways that story is done that story is over i think we're very happy about that my friend i have a boom question. it's a wrap let's i have get a out question of here. here for you and okay. this is this sure. is a listener question uh and I, I i didn't share this one in advance but i don't know if you needed a lot of time to think about this one but the question was for you mr daly if you had a moderate to high budget what new car would you buy today based based on what's available on dealer lots? And that comes from Nora in Oklahoma. So shout out Oklahoma. Man, that that's a good question. That is a really good question. And, you know, here I was just like in the previous, you know, story criticizing BMW heavily. 
I've always been a fan of the BMW M3. I just love that car. I think it's sexy. I think it looks great. It sounds great. I've always loved it. So had I like sufficient money to do it, I would go and buy an M3 right now. Or, you know, if I had money for like a classic car, a friend of mine in Holland actually restores, he has like a, a company called Oldenzaal Classics and they restore and like a, a lot of like these mostly like cars from the 70s and i've seen some of the restos they've done like on bmw 2002s man they look amazing so you know if, if that was my everyday car i go for the m3 if it was a fun weekend car i go for the restored bmw 2002 because the the job my friend bulent and his crew does gorgeous absolutely gorgeous dude that's awesome and shamelessly i i also absolutely love the bmw lineup i've loved every i've loved their I, i've loved the the design and the design language of the cars ever since I think it was Peter Bangle kind of went really progressive in the early 2000s with kind of that slab carved sharp line concept. I've loved everything they do. I, I love the X5. I love the M3. I love the 4 Series. But I, I think if I was buying today, if I was buying a car and my budget was Canadian in the 150 range, I, I would have to, even though the car has been in production now for like 17 years, I still absolutely love the Nissan GTR. And I know they iterate and they iterate and they iterate. If I was buying a family car and budget wasn't really a, a limit to me i would love to have another range rover sport despite the fact that residual values are atrocious but ultimately right now and i know i know where you are and i can certainly speak for myself we have a we have a, a nice nissan or nissan we have a nice volkswagen tiguan which will be paid off next year uh i was so happy i bought the eight-year extended warranty when i bought it and i was and it's so funny like i actually regretted it because i'm like i'm never gonna get, keep a car eight years but now with interest rates where they are on new automobile like on new cars and stuff like <laughs> Like, we're gonna keep this car until my son's in high school. Like we're gonna That's drive what I was it gonna into say. the ground, dude. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. I do another question here, and I know sure. we've got some actual news stories to get to, but this one was uh, to both of us, um, and it's Hamilton keeps alluding to his passion for chicken sandwiches on the show. Do you have a favorite, and if so, why? And that one comes from Taylor in Florida, Tallahassee, Florida, to be specific. So I'm, you know, fairly. You know, I'll, you know, I'll be quite honest. The the best chicken sandwich I can get my hand on is the one closest to me when I need to hit a drive through <laughs> when, when that craving fit you know hits me. So I'll I'll just put it that put put it that way. But I know you put like a little bit more thought into this. I think you're like a big fan of like the Popeyes. I love Popeyes chicken sandwich, and I I think oh, me, we, me and you me are on the same page, right? We're super lucky, and I think the U.S. has experienced the same thing over the last couple of years, where there's been this explosion of chicken sandwiches, and all the fast food chains have been competing against each other. But the big development for us is in the last couple of years. One, uh, Mary Brown's, which is a big fast food chicken um, company that was based in Atlantic Canada, has expanded nationally. So we have branches here in BC now. They're fantastic, like absolutely fantastic. And of course, we have Popeyes. And the crazy thing about Popeyes, dude, is you and I have like two locations now within like five, 10 minutes of our house. I have a location less than a kilometer from my place. So I love <laughs> I love Popeyes. I, I love Mary Brown's. Uh, I appreciate that all the other traditional fast food places are making an effort. And then the other one that I really love, and I, I had the chance to eat this the last time I was in the Middle East, was uh, there's a Saudi-based fast food chicken place called Al Bake, um, and they have a fantastic chicken sandwich as well. But I think North America-wise, for me, it'd be uh, Mary Brown's. Uh, and if you're ever in Canada from the U.S. and you have an opportunity to give it a try, do it. But Popeye's, man, that classic chicken sandwich is just too good to resist. Yeah, you know, when that, that, that Popeye's opened just up uh, down by the mall near where we live, I do, that was... 
both a good and a bad thing. <laughs> you know, I mean, good obviously with with the craving hits, but bad because it's like literally right around the corner. So the first one they opened near us didn't have a drive-through, and then the new yeah. one has the drive-through. So like, <laughs> so like the frequency with which I visit has accelerated by like ninefold. Oh, my friend. <laughs> anyways, we should probably we should probably pivot to a little bit of Formula One. And again, if if you're listening and you're wondering what's going on, it's a Sunday show. There's no race this weekend. We thought we'd take a somewhat more chilled and casual approach, but there is a story that we wanted to talk to, and we we alluded to this last week, and I, I think after we did it, a lot of people reached out with links and sharing concerns and sharing comments, and one of the reasons that we didn't dig into the story more deeply was because the media publications that were reporting on it at the time weren't English-based. And I don't think either Daly or myself were super comfortable referencing an article that we had to translate. So over the course of the weekend, the last couple of days, the race.com published the story. And the story was Marco's, referring to Helmut Marco at Red Bull, driver development manager, Helmut Marco's comments about Perez have to stop. And I think now that it's being, now that the story is being circulated in the English language media a little bit more, we felt a little bit more comfortable addressing this one. But daily, I know you and I were, we were messaging back and forth on WhatsApp, WTF, WTF, sharing stories and links and things like that. Um, your your thoughts on, on this developing story? And I guess it's not really developing because it's just, it's more a, a culmination or a manifestation of how he's been able to so openly speak about drivers and people within the F1 paddock over the last couple of years. Yeah, it's it's just wrong. Let, let's just put it out here. I mean, he can make all the excuses that he wants, you know, like, well, you know, we could say whatever we wanted back in my day, whatever the case may be. I don't know what he said to sort of defend himself. But I mean, this sort of stuff is just, it's its unacceptable nowadays, right? I mean, as it always should have been, right right from day one. And it's just absolutely ridiculous just to, that he's comparing, you know, Checo to like Max and, and Sebastian Vettel, who've won world championships to, to, to Red Bull and saying that, you know... And, He's he's got like a different mentality just basically because he comes from a different part of the world. And then he kind of doubled down on those comments and things like that. And then you could tell that the the apology or the the whatever you want to call it, the statement that uh, they released from Red Bull. This was just like their like their PR slash legal team is like, OK, we got to put the genie back in the bottle like ASAP, although it was it was obvious it was a pretty soulless, you know, generic kind of thing. It was just like, let's try and keep this as bland as possible to keep this from getting worse. But it's 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 just wrong. And I mean, I it and the the annoying and frustrating and offensive thing is that it, it's not just a one off. I mean, there, there's a history of things now. And it doesn't matter the way they used to do things in the past. You shouldn't have been doing it to begin with, and you certainly shouldn't be doing it now. But, you know, we, we did talk about it before we jumped onto the air on Thursday night. And we could have talked about it a little bit more because, unfortunately, about like an hour or two after we we finished the session, I was just waiting for the like the files to process. I did actually on X find a copy. Somebody had tweeted out like a clip of that video clip on service TV or whatever it was. And my German is good enough that I was like, oh, yeah, he said it. Yeah, that's absolutely what he wow. said. So I was just oh like, my God. I'm just like, okay, well, there's something to this. So when I saw Scott Mitchell Malm's article come out, I guess it would have been during the day on Friday. I'm like, 
good for you. Good for you for getting out there and, and going against, well, I wouldn't say the narrative, but going and against the grain because this hasn't really popped up anywhere else. So kudos to Scott, kudos to the race.com for, for going out there and, and, and putting him on blast and, and, and calling him out for what is completely unacceptable behavior and, 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 and statements in the media. Daily for starters, I, I'm, I'm always impressed by your linguistic capabilities. Of course you speak German because you speak Dutch and you speak French and you speak English <laughs> and you speak like 18 other Asian languages that I, I can't even think of off the top of my head. But that's awesome. And I'm super glad you were able to corroborate the quote as opposed to lifting it from a translated article from an Italian or a German publication. But I, I think I, I think what's probably most problematic about the situation, there's a couple of dimensions here. It's one, you have an individual in, in Helmut Marko who's an advisor to the Red Bull Formula One team, and he's also their head of their driver development program. So he has kind of these two roles. And, you know, I think, I don't know if I said this on the podcast last week or if it was something I said to you off the air, but I, I used to have a friend that worked in Austria in at Red Bull in their marketing division. Oh yeah, right. And, yep, yep. And when I first started getting into podcasting, I I kind of naively reached out and said, "Hey, could I ever get anyone from the, the Red Bull Formula One team?" He's like, he's like, "Well, no." So shut up. That's a stupid thing to even ask. But two, <laughs> he's like, furthermore, Red Bull concentrates all of their output in terms of their media participation through two people it's it's christian horner and obviously it's helmet marco and that's not something you necessarily see with the other teams because like mercedes they have like five or six people that regularly speak on behalf of the team and things like that but for whatever reason they've made the conscious decisions that hey christian horner and helmet marco will speak exclusively and i think what we've seen from helmet marco over the last couple of years is this increasing frequency to say things that are particularly insensitive to his own drivers. And we talked about this last week where he's openly challenging and questioning the, the, future of of Sergio Perez at his team despite the fact that he's under contract next year like hey these are things you should be saying internally behind closed doors in the hospitality trailer with Christian Horner not openly pining about with the media like that's just undermining the credibility of your team and and it's probably very problematic to Sergio Perez's confidence in, in psych, kind of psychological state, but he's been saying increasingly complicated things. And the reason that I was so happy to see this Scott Mitchell mom article, um, and again, shout out to Scott, shout out to the race.com for publishing this is because despite the fact that this was an open wound in the world of F1 for the balance of last week, nobody in the English media would touch it. Nobody. And this goes right back to what you and I have been saying, Mark, for five damn years, which is the Formula One accredited media does not challenge the teams in a meaningful way. They do not challenge the drivers. They do not challenge the team principals because they they have the coveted FIA media credentials that allow them into the paddock at every race. And they will do nothing, nothing to compromise that. And this is a perfect example of they probably all knew this was inappropriate. They probably had the story typed up, but none of them were brave enough to press it because they didn't want their publication to get the blowback from Red Bull, and they didn't want to risk their credentials and their future in the sport. So so as a result, nobody reports on it. And, and the reason that I know this is probably the case is look back to last October, Mark, where you and I were talking about the fact that Ted Kravitz dared to suggest that the outcome of Abu Dhabi in 2021 wasn't 
ideal and that maybe Lewis Hamilton had been robbed by the fact that the race director Ooh. on that day what, had, what a had horrible thing a human to say. error. But do you remember what happened? Red Bull basically yeah, he, blocked Sky Sports. They, they, yeah, they for blocked. what, like two races or something, wasn't Incredible. it? Incredible. So, so yeah. if, if they are brazen enough to do that, what would they do to a independent journalist they could simply call up the FIA and say, pull his, pull his credentials or don't renew his or her credentials. They could go to that media publication. They could stop allowing them on Zoom calls. They could stop giving them quotes like, hey, th this is a scary world where the teams, and particularly this one team, wields so much power over over the media. And again, if Scott didn't, again, if you're, if you're on social media and you're on Twitter and you're on Reddit, you know, you probably would have seen these things bubble up like you and I did but if you're if you're a casual F1 fan and you rely on Sky Sports and you rely on the BBC and you rely on motorsport.com and some of these other publications you may never have known that this had happened that he'd made these ultra insensitive comments about Sergio Perez and then like you said double down on them because he didn't understand the the implications of what he was saying I'll just quote here from I'll just quote here from Scott Mitchell Mom but he says in an apparent justification or attempted clarification of that latest remark according to Austrian media outlet OE24, Marco appeared to have inadvertently, question mark, doubled down by saying he just meant a Mexican has a different mentality to a German or a Dutchman, uh, which is exactly what everyone inferred from his original comment in the first place, hence the controversy. And he continues, Marco genuinely does not seem to understand why this is a problem, which is pretty much the problem. One that Red Bull Racing is definitely not blind to, even if it's initial public inaction silence has attracted criticism. Um, that's why Mark was eventually coaxed into apologizing for making a quote-unquote offensive remark. So I think, like I said, there's two dimensions here. There's the one that you have a high-ranking official at the best team in Formula One making these comments repeatedly, and you also have an entire kind of motorsports media industry that is too scared to touch on this. And I think this is one of the reasons why podcasts like you and I can gain traction because we can comment on these things openly when these bigger publications, they just won't touch it daily. Yeah. They just won't touch it. You know, one of the other like incredible things is I think this was anybody else that after the initial comments, there's all this blowback. Wouldn't, you know, for most people, wouldn't the thing be to go to somebody else within the organization be, hey, people are upset. What did I say that is wrong? Explain it to me. And instead of doing that, he doubled down and made it even worse. And I'm just like, well, OK, this is I mean, and he has a history of stuff like this. Right. I mean, I remember like one of these sort of like mind blowing comments was in the early days of COVID. And we're, we're not going to get into the the whole, well, COVID isn't really all that serious or it, it was or it wasn't. But in the early days of COVID, he was saying that he wanted his drivers basically to go somewhere and, and contract COVID so they could just get it and out of the way. This is like in the, the spring of 2020 when we had, this was like an evolving thing. We we didn't know the severity. Is this a big deal? Is it not? You know, is, is it a wise thing? And I think everybody at the time was, yeah, that just doesn't sound like a good idea in, in, in general. So... You know, it's 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 incredible. And, you know, just kind of going back to what you were saying is just like there are some very public faces to, to to Red Bull compared to like a lot of the other teams like Mercedes. You said have a multitude of people when you come out there. There are basically four and a half public figures that you, you see around Red Bull. Two are obviously Max and Checo because they're obviously they, they go into the media scrums. They answer questions and stuff like that, which you expect. Right. And the other two, like you mentioned, are our helmet 
Marco and Christian Horner and Christian, you know, he has that, uh, you know, he has that reputation. I think uh, Toto called him a pit bull. No, what was it? Jack Russell. He kind of nips at people's heels. He antagonizes, he added agitates and that's kind of his shtick, but I don't think I, it's at least to my mind and you'll know, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Christians, you know, ever really crossed that line. I mean, he like, he'll, he'll get under people's skin, but I mean, he, he keeps it at least racing focused right and whereas Marco's clearly offside and the other person that I'm going to say is kind of one of the public facing figures of uh, of Red Bull although we rarely see him talking to the media is Adrian Newey I mean he's the designer he leads the design team we, we see him quite often in the paddock up on the pit wall and stuff like that although I don't remember the last time I saw Adrian Newey get in front of a mic and answer questions over the course of a race weekend so you know like, like you say you get like a revolving cast of characters at uh, at other teams whereas it's, it's, it's interesting that you know in a team that obviously focuses so very closely on what their outward facing images that they would you know that that this continues to be a problem but I guess that sort of goes to the 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 leads to the next question is he kind of like an untouchable within the the organization and the uh and the I I guess the question is or the answer is possibly right daily and that was going to be my next question to you that you know obviously he's He's, I was going to say on the wrong side of 30, which is something I always say about drivers, but he's 80. And and I, I think his last major contribution in terms of decision-making, because uh, I, I don't think he's actively involved in the development of the car at all. Um, I, I think we know that he's actively involved in deciding who's driving those cars, but we also know that the last major decision he made there was Nick DeVries, which obviously didn't work out and they had to replace him mid-season. That's not ideal. That I think and I wonder if if all of these things are going to manifest themselves in a retirement announcement at the end of next year that maybe he'll continue on as a consultant, but he won't be actively involved in the day-to-day of the organization. And, you know, my wife was just kind of sending me messages in the background. She's like, remind them about the, 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 the Yuki comment. And there was a quote that Marco made uh, a couple of years ago when he said, and I said, quote, unquote, Sonoda is not a typical Japanese. The typical Japanese, we have one in Formula 3, dot, 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 is polite, disciplined, and would never make such statements as Sonoda. And if you're wondering, by the way, what the comment was that caused all of this uproar, um, and I know we have to take a break here, but if you're wondering what the comment was, it was this, and he said this with respect to Sergio Perez. Marco says, we know that he has problems in qualifying. He has fluctuations in form. He is South American, and he is just not as completely focused in his head as Max is or as Sebastian. Now, he did issue, and we'll wrap this segment up here. He did issue uh, an apology a couple of days ago. He says, I would like to apologize for my offensive remark, and I want to make it absolutely clear that I do not believe that we can generalize about generalize about the people from any country, any race, or any ethnicity, uh, wrote the PR team at Red Bull. Um, I, was trying to, I was trying to make a point that Checo Perez has fluctuated in his performance this year, but is wrong to attribute they, that to his cultural heritage. So I, I think, honestly, Mark, between you and me, it's it's absolutely the right time for him to retire, uh, both in terms of what he's contributing to the team, but uh, he's also a liability for the Red Bull organization if he's going to continue to make comments like this. And I don't know that you can tolerate any of these, to be totally honest. Your thoughts, is it time for him to to hang up those racing shoes? Well, you, you know, you, you made a great comment uh, there just about the, 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 the fact that he was responsible for putting Nick DeFries in the car and then they had to pull the plug after, what, 10, 11? races and put Dan, Daniel Ricardo back into it but I mean look at the revolving door just like like I mean just 
I mean, obviously, we condemn any offensive racists or you know, comments and behavior of any kind. But I mean, just from like his performance alone, I mean, is he justifying in staying there, right? I mean, you kind of go back and look at the revolving door that they've had in that team for what, the last six, seven, eight years? And you throw this on top. It's just like, you know, it's just like, like what is the value he's bringing to the team now? Like the, it seems the calls he's making to put drivers in the car aren't working. He, he, and I mean, that generalized statement there, like the apology is just like, well, you've you've obviously been making these generalized statements about people's backgrounds and cultures and things like that for a long time. Just because, I mean, you pulled up that one example that your wife just sent you just about like Yuki. So, I mean, we got three comments without even really thinking about it and digging into it. So it just like, it makes you like, it's just like, what is the justification in keeping him there or just uh, telling him, you know, it's like, it, it's time to, you know, it's time to go and on permanent gardening leave or whatever, whatever the Formula One equivalent of retirement is. Exactly. You know, gardening exactly. leave is when you're in between jobs. I don't know what the you know retirement or being forced out is, but yeah. Daily, let's uh let's take a break, sure. pay some of those proverbial bills, and when we come back, we're gonna talk about a little more a little bit more Red Bull news. So uh, we'll be <laughs> back on the flip side. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. My name is Mark Hamilton. Joining me today, my frenemy, my neighbor, my bestie, my BFF, my resident op, Mr. Daly. And we've been talking chicken sandwiches. We've been talking BMW monthly pay subscriptions. We've been paying. We've been talking helmet Marco. But uh, now we're going to talk a little bit about. Oh, can, go, can I, go. I just wanted to just tie up the, with, a, with a bow. Just uh, not specifically yeah, yeah. about like a helmet Marco, but just some of your comments that you were just making about the, the, the media being afraid to uh, you know report on that that story and other things that we, we've talked about before for for years and I'm not going to really say who or where or when because it's kind of a little bit irrelevant but uh, you know it's it's not Formula One related but I have seen during like my time in sports media I've seen people have their credentials removed like on the spot usually for for, for good cause 
you know, there was a couple of inf- you know, situations. I'm, I don't want to divulge it because there are some, you know, confident or not confidentiality, but some of them were embarrassing situations and unprofessional things. And those people have moved on. So I don't really want to dredge them up. But I have also seen representatives from different organizations lean on, you know, people, especially from smaller or independent media outlets, if they were just reporting things the way that they were, and, and usually it was justified as like the team played like crap, management made a bad move with a trade or whatever it was, but, you know, they've got their, you know, they're trying to put out their own narrative into the press, into the sports media, and you get like a couple of people is just like, you know, doing their own thing. And it's just like, hey, you're not paying my bills. I'm here to report the facts. The, the, the fact is the team's lost 10 games in a row. The coach is making terrible decisions with whatever. Management made a stupid trade, et cetera. And and you're leaning on me because of that is like, yeah, I'm not going to change my story. It's just like, why don't you guys do a better job of running your team and try not losing and being terrible? Anyways, I just want to put it out there because it's it's not beyond the realm of possibility. So, I mean, if, if it's happened in the, my own personal experience and some of the other sports I've covered, it's probably and definitely has happened elsewhere. So I thought it was just worth mentioning. Daily, I think that's fantastic. And and. I think we we talk about the fact that sometimes members of the media might be reluctant to to divulge sensitive um, information or publish stories that might be critical of the teams. But I think at the same time, there's probably a lot of established members of the media that are working very closely with the teams to help them get out the message they want to get out because it will ensure that they continue to get access, right? And I think generally speaking, I think the F1 media is very, very comfortable with the F1 establishment and they're not hypercritical in any meaningful way, at least not in a way that's going to compromise their access to the sport. But I think there's probably some members of the media and we could probably pick and choose who those are that are very, very accommodating of the narrative that certain teams are sharing. Now, I don't know if you saw the story early in the summer, but the Baltimore Orioles, uh, obviously a major league baseball team, they play in the American League East. They've been around since the beginning of time. They suspended or at least it's understood that they suspended their on-air broadcaster the, earlier this season, and his name is Kevin Brown. And he was, oh, you, I yeah. don't know if you heard this. Yeah, yeah, but, I know the story. But yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah, were yeah. in yeah. Tampa Bay, and the Orioles have been having a great season, but they were in Tampa Bay, and he's doing the broadcast, the pregame, whatever, and they, they flashed up a statistic on the TV, and it basically showed the Baltimore Orioles' record in Tampa Bay over the last couple of years. And it wasn't good, and he basically just read the statistic like, hey, you know, the Baltimore Orioles are surging. Hopefully we can win some games here. Here's the record for the last couple of weeks. He's pulled off the TV and he vanishes for weeks. And it was widely understood that the owner of the team was so unhappy that a member of their organization, one of their broadcasters, dared share a negative statistic about the team that he pulled them off the air. So so you, you certainly see this happen where there's repercussions even outside of F1. But uh, my friend, all of that said, I, I would I would add, you know, there was certainly a time earlier in my podcasting days where I was very reluctant to be overly critical because of like that could compromise my access to a team or a driver in the future. Now, 
I don't care. Like, I just want to be honest. I want to be authentic. And that's why I speak so openly about Lance Stroll. Like, I love him and I want him to be successful. I just don't think he's he he's earned a Formula One seat at this point. But we'll get to that. My mm-hmm. friend, the, the next story. As you say, that's called foreshadowing. 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 <laughs> I like segues and foreshadows. But we got to get through a couple more Red Bull stories. And yep. the next one is about Daniel Ricciardo, my friend. Obviously, we, we spoke last week about the fact that it sounds more and more like he's going to have an extended extended break from Formula One, uh, no pun intended, because of course he broke his hand at Zandvoort in practice when he came to, came together with Wall. Um, timing was horrible. He just made his return to Formula One, having raced two races before at the summer break. And now we're in a situation where Liam Lawson makes the jump over, the, the young New Zealand dr- driver makes the jump over from Super Formula in Japan. He's still going to contest that championship. He's still going to try and win that championship, but he's also going to be a full-time Formula One driver until Daniel Ricciardo returns. And I think what we've seen so far has been pretty inspiring um, according to racingnews365.com uh, they they articulated perfectly that Zandvoort uh, the race itself was probably the most challenging debut any driver has ever made in the world championship with the chaos of the rain on the opening lap the late deluge and red flag and final sprint to the line Lawson kept it tidy did not make a fool of himself and even battled the hobbled Charles Leclerc for position including a fantastic move on the brakes and up the inside of turn 11. So I think you and I would both agree that his 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 rapid and sudden shock appearance in Formula 1 has been something of a revelation that he's been fantastic, but it really complicates it really complicates the scenario at that team. And the reason I share this is Peter Bayer, the new CEO of AlphaTauri who was handpicked by Christian Horner, of course, he's made some comments about the fact that in the future, he wants to lean into more established, experienced Formula One driver. So we talk about Alpha Tauri as being, hey, this is basically a nesting place, a warming nest where we put our young drivers so they get some Formula One reps before we throw them in the Red Bull car. What do you think is the future? So you've got Yuki, man, and, and Yuki's coming under fire because his performance relative to his new teammates has been has been a challenge. Ricardo looked okay, but he only had two races. And then you have Liam Lawson that comes in and looks sensational. What is the future? And and how do you anticipate this looking next year? Okay, okay, I'm going to just throw this out here. I'm a Danny Ricardo fan. You know, like uh, the one thing I like, I, I've enjoyed watching him racing, of course, over the years, but just as much, I appreciate him because you make comments just now about being authentic in my, my career in sports media. Like, I found like I've run into so many people that will just, you know, for whatever reason, they're either not good at giving interviews or they hate giving interviews or they're doing 10 interviews at a time. They're literally going to give you 30 seconds because they have to go on to the next thing. The one thing I love about Danny Ricardo is he's authentic. He's genuine. He's a bit out there a little bit. He's flamboyant, you know, and, and that's what I love about him. But the thing is that this is, you know, a situation for Alpha Tauri to kind of like they're in the middle of a rebrand. The team's going to look you know fundamentally very different uh, next year so they got this three-headed monster now with Yuki Tsunoda Daniel Ricardo, and Liam Lawson and 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 Yuki's been in that car now for two and a half years I, I don't think Agreed. it's I don't Agreed. think it's it's an unfair comment to say that 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 Yuki's plateaued and I just feel that one of those two seats is going to go to Danny Ricardo because he's the experienced hand he's been around there he's been with Red Bull he's won races and it, it's it's 
a really crappy situation for Dan to be in because it was just, it was one of those freak accidents and probably 99 times out of 100, he'll have the same shunt, he'll get out of the car and he'll be fine. It was just, you know, that, that old saying, it never rains, but it pours. Now, this is where I think it gets kind of interesting is because sure, like Liam has only had two races in there, but I think that was a revelation of a debut at Zanfort for all the reasons that you just listed. I mean, this guy had never been in the Formula One car before. He's driving an ATR 04, which is literally the worst car on the grid, probably beside the Haas. And he gets in there. He does a great job. And, you know, he's sniffing around the points and, you know, he's, he's doing just as well or better than his teammate. So I'm, you know, my gut feeling is, in 24, we're going to see an Alpha Tauri or whatever they're going to call it. In 2024, a pairing of Danny Ricardo and Liam Lawson. I I, th- I think that Yuki's had his his turn at the plate, and you know I I think he's you know he's had you know he's popped it up a couple of times, and I think he struck out a couple of times. I think now you know you got to go through the rest of the order, man. Let let let's give Liam a chance. Let let's see what he does, and 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 maybe that's what uh, you know you know the the team management is t- saying to Danny. Like, who knows? I'd love to be a fly on the wall. It's just like, focus on getting healthy. If he can make it back this year, that's great. Get some more time in the car. Let's focus on 24. We'll parry up with Liam and let's see how it goes. You know, to me, I think that would be a pretty exciting driver lineup for a team that, let, let's be fair, is pretty pretty plain most of the time. You know? Daily, I, I totally agree. And Jake Nichols over at RacingNews365.com, he, he seems to speculate that that there's a possibility that Liam maybe ends up on loan to Williams given Logan Sargent's debut but I would argue that I would argue that Williams very strategically brought Logan Sargent in a year earlier than they probably wanted to and I think their decision was look, we can leave him in the lower formulas where he's pretty established and he's probably not going to grow a lot as a driver, but we can bring him into F1 early and allow him to start getting some F1 reps. So I, I think as disappointing as maybe he's been, especially relative to Albon, I think that Williams expected that, that this was really a developmental season. This was a junior season for him in a Formula One car. And I think they would expect to see big strides next year. So I, I don't expect to see him going on loan anywhere, but I do love what you're saying because if Liam Lawson continues to perform at the same caliber as Yuki Tsunoda over the next couple of races, despite the fact that he has no experience in a Formula One car, I don't know what the argument is to bring Yuki back next year. And if Daniel Ricciardo does return this season and he returns to form, and of course his debut was was good in, in, in Hungary. It was Fantastic. Uh, a little bit quiet in Belgium, but if we see more of the hungry Ricardo over the last few races of the Grand Prix season, then maybe that's the perfect pairing, right? You have Liam Lawson, who's a sensational rookie. And what, what are you going to do with him otherwise? If he continues to perform well prior to Ricardo's return, where do you put him next year? Like you, you, you cannot put him on loan and you cannot leave him in the junior formulas because ultimately someone's going to find a way to bring them to their team. Like he's kind of forcing your hand to bring him to F1 next year. I don't think Sergio Perez is going anywhere next year. I think they're going to allow him to play out the end of that contract. But I think the team you're going to see next year potentially is you're going to have a young driver in Liam Lawson next to an experienced driver in in Daniel Ricciardo. Now, all of that could change because Daniel Ricciardo could really struggle upon his return and then he's done. But, uh, 
but I think you're probably onto something. So I, I would assume that's going to be the case, but there's still a strong argument to be made that, hey, Daniel Ricardo, unless he's basically in the points every race to finish this season, uh, that maybe his career is over and it's going to be Liam and Yuki next year. I think the one thing that is is concrete is Liam is going to be a full-time Formula One driver next year. I, I think that is absolutely a certainty. I think the question is, one of the two, Yuki or Daniel Ricardo, won't be a driver next year. And I think that's going to be the question that needs to be answered. That That's a fair comment. I totally agree, Mark. My friend, the next story here, uh, the next story here, and we can probably kind of run through this one pretty quickly, but uh, Red Bull, according to Helmut Marko, uh, is very much on pace, on target to win all of the races this year. And according to Helmut Marko, Quote, unquote, of course, it is becoming a goal now to win all of 2023's Formula One races. And maybe the closest comp that we've ever seen before was the 1988 McLaren team, the super team that won, I think, 15 of 16 Grand Prix and and were absolutely sensational and and dominated that championship. I I don't think there's kind of a lot to speak to here other than the fact that Red Bull is now openly acknowledging that not only is this a possibility for them as we look at the last seven or eight races of the Grand Prix, championship but the fact that they're openly talking about it now as being a possibility uh your thoughts like eight races left we've got a mix of championship kind of caliber grand prix circuits is this is this realistic because i know we've been talking about it for months man but i almost think it's an inevitability at this point i I wouldn't say it's an inevitability i think it's a probability and i think if you're red bull that's fair yeah i i think that you absolutely have to aim for the stars now right i mean You've kind of played second fiddle to Mercedes and to an extent Ferrari over the past decade. You've had the best car in Formula One for the past two years, you know, and maybe a little bit if you kind of go back to 21 as well when it was, you know, back and forth between Max and Lewis. So, you know, you kind of like will be able to, well, well, number one, you won't kind of, you will absolutely have done something that even the mighty McLaren and Mercedes and Ferrari, whoever, have never been able to do in the history of Formula One. So if that opportunity is there, you throw everything at it because if you don't, then you still win the constructors, you still win another's driver's championship, you still have like an amazing dominating year, but this is something that's truly unique. And the only other team that had a chance to do this was McLaren Honda back in 88, and that was right at sort of like the peak animosity, toxicity between Senna and Prost where they came together at the final chicane at Suzuka and knocked each other out. I still remember watching that uh, that race with my dad and my brother, and you know we were just just like literally going beside ourselves. It's just like they did the one thing they didn't need to do. They're going to ruin their chance to have the perfect season. And we were all kind of happy about it uh, at the time because we're just like, you know, I don't know. As cool as it would be to see a team do it, it's just kind of like... It's one of those records, it's it's kind of like tantalizing because it's it's never been done. I mean, the only other team to do it in, in pro sports that I'm aware of is the 72 Dolphins in the NFL. And I mean, that record has stood for 50 years and, and every year when you, you sit down, and of course, this is uh, your opening weekend of the NFL season, the conversation always comes back after you get through the first month or the first month and a half, you know, you get like a couple of teams that are still undefeated and, you know, you kind of have those conversations 
Maybe this is the year that uh, somebody, you know, does what the 72 Dolphins uh, did. So, I mean, it's just, it's something that is just so difficult. And if they were to do it, I mean, it would be incredible because there are so many things that need to be done that have to go right. You know, like literally a million little variables, like before you even get Max and Checo into the car. And it's, 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 it's mind boggling. It'd be cool. And, you know, that's why I, I think that kind of going back to what we were talking about with the story about Marco, that detracts from everything. And it absolutely deserves the, the headlines and its place in, in, in the, the news cycle that it deserves. I mean, obviously it does, but you have to be like within the team, you got to be frustrated about that because if you're Max or you're Christian Horner or Chaco's like, we don't want to be talking about this. This is a horrible thing that this doesn't represent the rest of us. And we're, we're doing amazing things here. Like let, let's talk about this, but you know, it would be, it would be incredible if they can do it. But like I say, not enough ability probability, but that's, you know, it gets closer to inevitability, like every race that it goes. So who knows, who knows, right? I have full confidence in Max's ability to deliver. If the car is reliable, I think the, the one thing that may potentially cost them, uh, cost them this perfect season is, is a DNF due to a mechanical failure, but Honda Honda until recently has been delivering bulletproof power units. So who knows, by the way, that 1988 season, like just, we, we could do like a podcast mini documentary series about this. Alain Prost that year finishes P2 in the championship, in the driver's championship on 87 points. His worst finish that year, a P2. And he finished <laughs> second in the championship. And remarkable, like people, like we, we take this for granted now but dnfs were like par for the course in the 80s like absolutely oh, yeah. par for the course yeah he yeah. only had two dnfs that whole year so it was all p1s or p2s and two dnfs sen of course had that disqualification in brazil he had one retirement in monaco and then he finished p6 in portugal p4 in spain um and p10 in italy because of course that's when the two of them uh had that moment but what a remarkable championship of course senna finishing first on 90 points what a remarkable championship that was my friend to pivot uh, the next story here comes from motorsport.com and adam cooper and it's entitled the unexpected factor in f1's tire tender decision so as we know right now Pirelli, I don't know why I'm struggling to get my words out, but Pirelli is under contract to supply F1, F2, and F3 with tires through the end of 2024. And the FIA went and did an RFP. They kind of initiated a tendering process earlier this year to find a new F1 tire supplier for 25, 26, 27, and 2028, which is really challenging because they're basically saying, hey, we need you to develop a current spec tire for 25, and then we need you to create a new spec tire for 26, 27, 28, which by the way, it sounds like is going to be significantly narrower than today's tire. So what we've kind of talked earlier about the fact that Pirelli is back and, and they're competing for the right to continue producing F1 tires, but Bridgestone ha had made a push. Now there has been no formal announcement yet about this. By all accounts, the, the bid from both Bridgestone and Pirelli was received very favorably by the FIA and the FIA has basically pushed the decision over to the commercial rights group and said, look, we're cool with the technical capabilities of both of these teams. It's up to you to make a decision now. So what's really interesting, and I didn't know this until I read this article by Adam Cooper, is that 
it seems like a slam dunk to stay with Pirelli, right? They've been your partner now since 2011. Uh, they do a fantastic job given the challenges of producing Formula One racing tires with all the requirements that are imposed on them by the teams and the FIA, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things that I didn't know is that Pirelli may be looking for a break from F1 after 2028. And from 2029 onwards, they may wish to no longer participate in the Formula One championship. So, so Formula One, Liberty has this really interesting decision to make, which is, look, do we, do we kick the can down the road, the inevitable switch to Bridgestone for 2029? Um, or do we... Do we make the decision now that, look, Pirelli, if you're not committed to the sport beyond 2028, we need to commit to Bridgestone now because we need to get them into the program of producing Formula One tires because that's that's a monumental task. And then the other thing, the other thing that Adam Cooper said that I thought was really interesting was if Pirelli gets this contract and they continue to produce tires through 2028 and they're not committed to returning to F1 after 28. What happens if no one bids on the tender for 29? What if Bridgestone, what if internally they make the decision that, hey, look, we weren't happy with the tendering process last time. We're going to be committed to other championships. What happens in 2029 if nobody signs up to produce tires for Formula One? So on the surface, it's kind of this cool thing where, hey, you've got two different companies competing to produce tires, but it's actually a much more technical, challenging decision simply because of the politics at play. So if Pirelli's not committed, maybe you want to go with Bridgestone now, but if Pirelli, yeah, so I, I I don't know, man. Like, I think it's an interesting story and it's an interesting dilemma that F1 finds itself. Yeah, Mark, that's like a great question, right? I mean, it's Formula One tires. You just don't find them anywhere. You just can't go down to Costco or down to Les Schwab or whatever and say, I need to outfit 20 or sorry, 10 or 12 or whatever it is, Formula One teams that we're going to have at that point in time. So it's interesting, right? Because if Pirelli is indeed saying that they, they want to be out in 29, it's just like, look, we, we've been here for nearly 20 years we've done everything that we need to do we're, we're, we're not this is not really a I wouldn't say positive but we, we've accomplished everything in Formula One that we need to do so th that that is interesting right and and in this current atmosphere like in in Formula One I don't know what sort of like work or you know what how much time it takes to develop uh, tire compounds obviously when it kind of comes to something super complicated like a power unit we we've seen that you know like and, and this is like the, the the issue that like obviously audi's having they're going to join the grid in 2026 and they're going to have to develop their own power unit to put in the back of that car and that's going to be a very complicated thing with all the parameters that go into creating and building and and making and supplying a formula one tire to the entire grid to to do what Formula One wants it to do is not a simple task. And it just kind of makes you wonder if, they, in fact, like you say, they were decided to pull out and they want to go with Bridgestone or Firestone or Goodyear or Michelin, whoever. It's just like, well, you know, we got to get these people in now because they're going to have to start doing, you know, winding this thing up to get it going so that when you guys leave in 29 or whatever it is, that we can have as seamless as possible transition to the new tire supplier. 
you know, really fascinating. But, you know, great question, right? At, at this point in time, being the sole tire supplier for Formula One for over a decade, what is left for, for Pirelli to do in, in, in Formula One? I mean, it, it's a great marketing thing. They could really flex on that, saying, you know, we've, we've been the sole tire provider for the Formula One World Championship for, you know, X number of years. You know, it's, it's a great marketing thing. Right? Adam Cooper writes, and, and this is this is a really great comment. Uh, if Pirelli wins this time and Bridgestone decides to try again in four years and there's no competition, then the commercial discussions will be very different. It will be a buyer's market and F1 won't be able to squeeze the Japanese company as hard as it was able to this time around. On the other hand, it could be that knowing that incumbent Pirelli is going and thus the F1 deal is def definitely up for grabs might encourage others such as Michelin or Hankook to join the fight, which will ramp up the price. The nightmare scenario for Domenicali, of course, who leads the commercial rights group, is that there are no bidders at all for the 2029 tender, and fear of that scenario would be one reason to switch to Bridgestone sooner rather than later. That if Bridgestone, presumably, and this is what I unpack from this, that if Bridgestone was to say, hey, look, we're committed to 10 years, 15 years, maybe you make that switch now because they, you, you can't guarantee they're going to come back in 28 and you can't guarantee that anyone will come back in 28. Alternatively, maybe you get five teams. So it's an interesting decision, not for the FIA, because I think the FIA said, hey, we're cool with either based on their technical capabilities. It's more about what works for the commercial rights group. Because of course, when you have a sole tire supplier, they're a big part of the marketing and the branding of a formula. One, My friend, I have one last story today. We have a couple of more technical stories, which I think we'll save for Thursday, so we have a little bit more time to unpack them. But the last one is Nico Rosberg has made some very critical comments about the future of Lance Stroll at Aston Martin. Of course, Lance Stroll, who suffered a not insignificant injury during training and cycling prior to winter testing, uh, made a return just in time for the opening Grand Prix, uh, but unfortunately is significantly off the pace versus his teammates. Says Nico Rosberg, I really don't know what has happened to Stroll because he's a very good driver. He showed at the start of the season that he can be close to Fernando. I think in the long term, Aston Martin can't afford to have a driver who is so far away. Says, and it continues Nico Rosberg, either Lance gets back to where he can be and where he should be, or they will have to consider whether to continue with him as a second driver. And of course, Fernando Alonso has been nothing short of sensational this year. I think he has seven or eight podiums. I can't even keep track at this point. He sits third in the Drivers' Championship, almost 150 points up on his teammate in Lance Stroll, who's sitting in the 40s. I, I think the biggest piece here is there's some complexity, right? That Lance Stroll's father owns the team and presumably he bought the team originally to make sure that his his son had a competitive drive because by the end of 2018, by the middle of 2018, I think he was at his wits end with Williams having, having invested a lot of money in that team and be gun to understand what their deficiencies and their limitations were. He was looking for a better place to stash his son. I think that the challenge now though is that Fernando Alonso is demonstrating specifically what that car is capable of. And I think the other investors and the sponsors, and I'm looking at a photo of a beautiful Aston Martin Formula One car right now with the Cognizant banner on the side, the Aramco banner on the side, that if I'm one of these companies that is spending millions or tens of millions of dollars to have my branding associated with the team, I can't, I can't continue to accept a driver who is so significantly off the pace. My friend, 
I don't think there's any debate that Lance Stroll is going to be back next year. I think Mike Crack has continually defended him and argued that, hey, it's up to Aston Martin to get him a better car. But my perspective is that ultimately there's going to be pressures that are going to be simply unfathomable or unmanageable on Lance Stroll or Lawrence Stroll. He's going to have to make a hard decision on on Lance. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, if you look at, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the, uh, the the stats for Fernando compared to Lance. So Fernando's best result this year is a second. He's done that three times. He was on uh, second at Monaco, second in Canada, second in Holland a couple of weeks ago. Lance's best result is a P4 in Australia way back when he's retired twice. And if you look just in the last five races, 14th at Silverstone, 10th in Hungary, 9th in Belgium, 11th in uh, Holland, and 16th last weekend in uh, at Monza at the Italian Grand Prix. So like you said, that gives him a whopping 47 points compared to Fernando, who is currently third in the championship with 170. Fernando said that, uh, you know, he wants to try and catch uh, Sergio. I think that's going to be, that that's quite a lofty goal, obviously, considering that they had a bit of a hiccup over there in, during the summer because, you know, Sir, or sorry, uh, Fernando finished fifth in Austria, seventh in Great Britain, ninth in uh, Hungary, fifth in Belgium, and then ninth last weekend in Italy. But, I mean, if you dial it back a year, I'm sure Aston Martin would have been pretty pleased with those results. But Fernando especially and Aston Martin have really raised that bar so high. But, like I say, you look at the top five. Max, 364. Sergio, 219. Fernando, 170. Lewis, 164. Carlos Sainz, 117. That's the top five in the Drivers' Championship. Then you look down low. So Lance is ninth in the Drivers' Championship. He's 47 points. He's only 10 points ahead of Pierre Gasly and 11 points ahead of Esteban Alcon, the two Alpine drivers who don't have a great car, who don't have a great team. I mean, the team's in shambles. I mean, I mean, we don't need to go over all of that. I mean, the, the team's just been literally falling apart at the seams all season long. And they have had their struggles. I mean, Esteban's had four DNFs uh, this, this season season alone so I mean that but the point is that if you start if you're Lance in ninth you look who's in front of you in the championship Lando 79 points George has 109 points Charles has 111 points I'm just gonna say it right now unless Lance has a complete renaissance and has like some complete you know about face in his season there's no way he's closing that 32 point gap or whatever it is to uh to Lando Norris right now I mean McLaren, yeah, they didn't have the greatest of uh, weekends in uh, in Italy last weekend, but I mean, Lando's had some pretty good uh, you know results in the past uh, several races. So I mean, yeah, where do you go? And and at some point, somebody, and that would have to be the chairman himself, is going to have to make a, a pretty t- tough decision because, you know, it's. You know, like when does like too much become enough? And I, I think that Nico makes a, a really good point. It's just like Lance is a good driver, but I, you know, like what has happened to him? You know, it just you would think that if uh, you know, obviously he had the broken hand or wrist uh, before the start of the season in that bike accident, but that was months and months and months ago. It's just like where is this lack of form coming from? Because you know the the fact that they've gone from second to fourth in the in the constructors championship Aston Martin is purely down to excuse me Lance's lack of performance and, and poor results it's it's funny man like when we have this conversation between the two of the drivers there's a couple of ways to stack up 
their head-to-head performance. And and obviously one of them is the or the driver's championship, right? Like who's accumulated more points in the championship. And then you can also look at, hey, what is what is what is the the race trim look like? Like, hey, who's who's out competing who when it comes to actual race classification? And if you look at race classification this year, Fernando Alonso is outperforming Lance Stroll 13 to 1. And then the other thing you can consider is, hey, look, you know what? When you put those cars out and there's no fuel in the tank and the drivers just have the opportunity to go as fast as they possibly can on the stickiest possible brand new tires in qualifying, what does what does the qualifying performance look like? And again, Fernando Alonso has outperformed Lance Stroll 12-2. And I think my single biggest takeaway here is that Lance Stroll just isn't fast enough. He's not fast enough. And I know that might crack and it's almost getting nauseating at this point. Uh, but my crack keeps defending Lance and arguing it's the car. It's the car. We need to give the drivers a better car. We need to give the drivers the better car. But the they have but yeah, a good it, car. Do, Look at Fernando will tell you exactly. they got a good car. And that's, that's why I find it somewhat nauseous that he, he continues to make that statement. It's like you can't make that comment when one of your two drivers is sitting a shocking P3 in the driver's championship that, you know what, I get it. The car could be better. It could be, it could be quicker. It could be slipperier. It could have better aerodynamic, like aero efficiency on, on fast circuits. It, it could like, there's a whole bunch of things like what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. But what we know is that in the exact same car, Fernando Alonso, who is like 16, 17 years, the senior of Lance Stroll is absolutely crushing him. So my friend, I, I think obviously I always say it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be fascinating to see how Lance can can wrap up this season because I, I think he needs to to make some not insignificant progress, both for the sake of the team, but also for the sake of his own own future. Because I like that term that you used a couple of minutes ago, the chairman. Like I at the end of the day, I think he's as ruthless as we believe he is. And I think if at the end of the season that Fernando Alonso is sitting on 230 points and Lance Stroll sitting on 70 points, I think maybe there's going to be some tougher conversations because at the end of the day, it's going to lose him sponsors, which is going to lose him money. And they are absolutely hemorrhaging cash in the Constructors' Championship, right? Like teams earn money through sponsorships and they earn a ton of cash through the Constructors' Championship. And Lance Stroll is costing them oh, yeah, millions yeah. of dollars Every single race, which is totally, totally unacceptable. My friend, I think... Oh, I just kind of wonder, yeah, yeah. just uh, wanted to sort of just finish that one up. If it was any other team, you know, like uh, if it wasn't, let's say, Lawrence at the top of that team, if it was somebody else, I'm sure a lot of people would be saying put Felipe Drugovich in that car for next season, right? So it, like like you say, it'll be interesting to see how this, the, this situation like evolves, right? And again, it would be interesting to be a fly on the wall at Aston Martin headquarters over the, the coming months, right? Daily, daily, that, that's, that's a great point. The, the other consideration here is that for other talented drivers in Formula One, Aston Martin's a very attractive place to go. Like, it, it, they would simply look at, one, the investments that Lawrence Stroll's made in the factory at Silverstone, the fact that it's a base in the UK, which is attractive to drivers. Uh, it's, it's, it's a team that's willing to spend the money, and they have a fantastic car. Like, that would be a place where you could attract... Maybe you go with a young driver, like Drogovic, who's not going to cost you a lot of money and has some potential upside. Um, or maybe you're able to lure over a more seasoned, established driver. But I would love to... And I'm not the biggest Nico Hulkenberg fan. I think I think his time in Formula One has long since expired. I'm not a big Kevin Magnussen fan. But I think 
I would love to have seen what some of those drivers would have done in this car. Like, I would have loved to have seen what Nico Hulkenberg would have done with this car over, of course, he's under contract to Haas, but uh, I would love to have seen what he could have done over 12, 13, 14 races with this with this car in this package. So, okay, so let, let's put a twist on this. Maybe next year we see Liam Lawson and Yuki at uh, Alpha Tower. We see Danny Ricardo and Alfredo Alonso at Aston Martin. And, you know, I say it jokingly, hey, but I mean, hey. the thing is with Formula One, weirder things have happened, right? When it comes to drivers. Man, that that's a great point, right? That And this is where we get into such silly season nonsense, but Daniel Ricardo- But it's fun, it's fun. Currently under contract to Red Bull as a reserve driver, but if if Red Bull can't provide him with a seat next year, or they provide him with the Alpha Tower seat, and an Aston Martin seat becomes available, let's say he comes back from this hand injury and he looks really good over the back half of the season. But Red Bull's already decided we're going with Yuki, we're going with Leesum. The musical chairs is over. Sergio's back. You don't have a ride, and and all of a sudden. You know, you can bring him over. Like, yeah, that's interesting. And again, I don't know if they want to commit to two drivers over 35 years of age, because I think, I think how old is Daniel Ricciardo now? 34? He'll turn 35 next season? Is he is he that old? I, I should just double check. I think I got his stats here somewhere. So Danny, 34. I, I 34. He's 34. Okay, yeah, yeah, 34. I was gonna say 32, but you know I've lost all track of like uh, things in the last couple. Daily, of years, you filled so. me with such joy at this idea <laughs> of pairing a, a very capable Daniel Ricardo with Fernando Alonso. What a what a racing lineup that would be. And imagine the sponsors, man. Like to be able to put your branding on a car. Like oh, that's that's super exciting. Yeah, That's the coolest you know, thing I've heard the, in a while. You know, it, it's it's not that half baked as it sound when you kind of look at it. I mean, that would be an attractive uh, you know partnership to have. I mean, if Ricardo's driving well, Fernando just seems to be you know defying all the odds at forty two. I mean, he's incredible. I mean, to look at that. I mean, he's driving like he was ten years ago. So I mean. It's 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 just amazing to to see where you know like that delta between the two Aston Martin drivers. It's it, you know frankly it's quite shocking, right? Daily, my friend, we'll be back on Thursday. I guess we'll be recording Wednesday for the next couple of weeks at least. So we'll be dropping the shows on Thursday, so everyone gets them a day early. Next weekend is a Grand Prix weekend. We are in Singapore. I think you and I are both very excited about that night race. It's something that we both stay up for. But the the last thing I did want to shout out is. The days are the days are ticking by, and we're getting closer and closer to the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Um, and as we've mentioned a couple of times over the summer, Daly and I will be co-hosting at my place on November 18th a Formula One watch party. We'll be inviting people over to my place. We'll be taking donations for the Canadian Mental Health Association. Uh, something I think that is both near, well, certainly near and dear to my heart, um, but something I think that collectively we both think is is a great organization to support. Uh, but we'll be hosting a a uh, a watch party. Uh, and I think uh, now's the time to probably start doing some RSVP. So if it's something that you're interested in, I, I think we kind of conceptually want to get our heads around the number of people that are going to be participating so we can plan accordingly. So if that's something you're interested in, uh, please slide into our DMs and let us know. Daily, any final words before we sign off today? No, just uh, it was f- kind of fun to pop in here. It doesn't seem like we, we get the opportunity to do like, you know, quote unquote, uh, you know, off topic show very often just because how, you know, like action packed the calendar is. But it was good to come in here and just kind of, I wouldn't say unscripted, but it feels like less structured than our usual shows. So it was it was fun to do. Less stressful. Yeah, less, less stressful. stressful. Absolutely. 
on that note, thank you so much for tuning into today's show. Again, we'll be back in a couple of days to get everybody ready for Singapore. And then, of course, Japan. We've got some fantastic Grand Prix coming up. If you feel that we've become something of a Lance Stroll slander pod and you're tired of hearing about that, please slide into our DMs. Otherwise, if you have any questions or feedback at all, again, you can always reach out to us via Twitter. I guess X now. I feel super uncomfortable saying that. Or you can send us an email at our shared Gmail mailbox. Finally, if you enjoy our show and you like what we do, please don't hesitate to give us a rating and a review. A rating on Spotify is awesome, uh, and a rating and a review on Apple is even better if you can do that. Ah, That's it for today, everybody. I hope you have a fantastic week. We'll speak to you all soon. Bye for now. I feel like a locomotive sipping, drinking Arizona. Mixtape just around the corner. Did a lot in California. Can't wait to drop this on you. Yeah, they gon' have fun with that. Smash like song, and my song's gon' break through like a running back.